save the world but tonight I'll hold you right here in my arms precious miracle of life child of love gift of hope the gift of light from the father above and you were made for all mankind but you will always be mine child of God has blessed this world with you. And as I humbly hold you now, in my heart I know I'm holding heaven's child. Precious miracle of life, child of love, gift of hope, the gift of light from the Father above, and you were made for all mankind, but you will always be mine, child of love, precious miracle of life, child of love, gift of hope, the gift of light, from the Father above, and you were made for all mankind, but you will always be mine, child of love. Jesus said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. In this instance, it's a little c, and a little c always means universal. I believe in the universal church. We also say the church is of God and will be preserved to the end of time. My name is Hal Brady. And today I'm going to be preaching a message on the church. I'm so glad you've tuned in, and I trust that both the Word and the music will be a blessing. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word? It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning at verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Keep alert, stand firm in your faith, and be courageous, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. 
Now, brothers and sisters, you know that members of the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they had devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you to put yourselves at the service of such people and of everyone who works and toils with them. Rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Achaeus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. So give recognition to such persons. The churches of Asia send greeting. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, greet you warmly in the Lord. All the brothers and sisters send greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Let everyone be accursed who has no love for the Lord. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me, please, for a word of prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts, all our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, which art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The other day, while thinking about this message, I was browsing around in a bookstore. I was simply amazed at how many eye-catching titles of books on America there were before me. These were some of them, just a few. There were books pointing out the evils of conservatives and liberals, America's decline and impending doom, war and war stories, the praise or condemnation of presidents or other politicians, blueprints for fixing America, the world America made, and numerous other stories and books, either of hope or cynicism. As I was thinking about those books and this message, I suddenly began to think about a passage of Scripture in the Bible. It comes from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Paul's message was, keep alert, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now to really get the understanding of this message, we need to understand somewhat the situation of Corinth. Because it was located on the Gulf of Corinth, Corinth had many commercial advantages. As a matter of fact, it was a wonderful place for the rich and the wealthy. They enjoyed the gladiatorial shows and games and drama and music. But it was a not-so-good place for the poor. You see, in those days, human rights were not a big deal, and slavery was considered essential to the economy. And then there was this immorality that Corinth seemed to be the center of. The Temple of Aphrodite was located there, and there were a thousand sacred prostitutes that plied their trade in the evening. Add to this, these characteristics of extravagance, drunkenness, debauchery, apathy, filth, and crime, and you have a good description of Corinth. As one commentator said of Paul, no preacher ever had it worse. So it was very important to that church to hear Paul's message when he said, keep alert, when he said, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now let me ask you, do we in America need this message any less than the people of Corinth? Jim Wallace, writing in his book, The Great Awakening, says that he finds a real hunger in our country for a new kind of public discourse that can address the big issues facing our nation. Many Americans sense that most of our pressing problems have an essential moral character about them. It is a role of the faith community to keep reminding us of this. 
as the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the church needs to be reminded that she is not the servant or the master of the state, rather the conscience of the state. A minister said a man recently gave him a check to give to the church. He had a note attached, and he said, I'm giving you this extra money because the church is so desperately needed in our culture today. He's right, but what kind of church? We're talking about a renewed church, a church that's in God's redemptive purposes in Jesus Christ and Jesus' resurrection. Now, the Apostle Paul has given us an exhortation. We need to pay attention to what he's saying to us. First of all, he says, be alert, be watchful. Paul is very wise in his admonition not to be conformed to this world. And yet Christians continually face this temptation to be conformed to the society of which they are a part. This was true in the time of Corinth. It's also true in America today. A lady was down at the police station. Her son had been accused of a serious crime, and he had committed many lesser crimes. She said to the psychologist, she said something like this. She said, you know, I've done the best I could to guide my son, but sometimes the best undertaking of parents is destroyed by the community. Sometimes our thoughts and ideas as Christians also undermined by the community. So we need to keep in mind that we can look at our society today with all of its problems. I'm talking about drugs and poverty and homelessness and all of these other things. And we don't even know how to solve these problems. As a matter of fact, sometimes we don't even get close to even talking about them in the right way. But I think we need to understand that even though we have much difficulty there, we get to the point where we seem to think that we need an overarching morality, some kind of moral standard, if this country and this world is going to last. So I want to tell you a few things about this moral standard we need if this country and world indeed is probably going to last. First of all, if we're going to have a, a good standard of morality, it cannot be an individual standard. I want you to think about this conversation between these three umpires. One said, I call them like I see them. The other said, I call them as they are. The third said, heck, they ain't nothing till I call them. Alarmingly, we've come to the point where an individual standard is pretty much governing this nation. So what do we say? We say, oh, everybody has a right to his or her own opinion. But what if that opinion means seducing your children or robbing your house? We say everybody has a right to his or her own opinion, but we're thinking that these people evidently have some kind of moral or value standard, and yet in our day and time, many people don't have that standard anymore. We need to come to grips with that. And secondly, this new standard should not be a double standard. One standard for the well-to-do and another standard for the less well-off. That has been the breeding ground for injustice in every era of the world's history. As a matter of fact, the rebellious spirit in the world today is a rebellion against the double standard. And then the standard that we're talking about, this overarching standard for the nation and the world, it has to get beyond a cultural standard. There was a group of Americans that wound up in hell, and the devil, a very affable figure, was saying to them something like this, you know there's no right and wrong down here, it's just what works for you. Well, that's what's happening in our culture today. It's just what works for you, and that's what's wrong with it. Listen to these things. In our culture, the common good has been replaced by selfish pursuit. Community relationships have become relationships of convenience. Your word is your bond. 
has become something like word shift with circumstances. Duty and decency have been replaced with enlightened emancipation. God at the center of everything that matters has been replaced by humanity at the center of everything that matters. And I could go on. The late Dr. Weatherhead, when he finished his ministry at City Temple London, he was asked what he had he learned through all the years. He said, I've learned many things, but he said, the greatest thing I've learned is this. Life is only going to work out one way, and that is God's way. So our standard has to be beyond an individual standard or a group standard or a cultural standard. In other words, keep alert, watchful. That's the message that we are receiving. And then secondly, stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. James Truslow Adams, who's credited with coining the phrase the American dream in 1931, spoke of it as a dream in which each man and each woman shall be able to attain to the fullest stature of which they are eminently capable and be recognized by others for what they are. So is there anything wrong with that? I think when you talk about working hard and having great aspirations, that is good and wonderful. The scripture backs that up. But there is a, a big danger in the American dream. There's a danger undergirding it. And that is that we ourselves can do everything that the world depends on our ability. The American pride simply seems to indicate that if we work hard and if we believe in ourselves and do our own power, then everything will work out. But the gospel of Christ has a different priority. That gospel says we have to die to ourselves and we have to trust in God and God's power. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who live in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, let me ask you these questions. What is the goal of the American dream? Let's pick it up with Adams, what he said. He said, so the good can be for everybody to become what they can be. In other words, the goal of the American dream is to make much of ourselves. What is the goal of the kingdom of God? The goal of the kingdom of God is to make much of God. What is the goal of the American dream? The goal of the American dream is to have what is best for America. The goal of God has to do with what is best for the world. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you to the conclusion of the age. What is the goal of America? The goal of America is to share in the good things. The goal of the gospel is to share those good things with everybody in the world, the least, the lost, and the stranger. Now, those of us in the church would do well after we've seen faith of our fathers living still to ask ourselves, does that faith still live? And does that faith live in us? Does it live in our church or in our churches? You know, several years ago, I went to the American section meeting of the World Methodist Council. Everybody there was concerned for the renewal of the church. What was going to enable the mainline churches to come back? And everybody agreed it was refocusing on the center. The center, of course, is Jesus Christ. God's revelation of himself and Jesus' resurrection. This is the center. What I'm talking about is we decided we needed to come to a re-understanding of the apostolic faith of which Jesus is the center. People writing in that book, Jesus' Manifesto, said today, we're at a crossroads in America. We can go in one of two directions. We can move left or we can move right. But many people, when they look to the left or the right, just find themselves frozen. They don't have any place to go. 
Well, these people are suggesting another way, the way of the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what Paul is saying in this scripture. He's saying, stand firm in your faith, stand firm in the apostolic faith. And then Paul says, be courageous, be courageous. What does God expect for those of us who say we follow him? Above everything else, he expects us to be partners with him in the rescuing of a world gone wrong. He expects us to be partners with him in the rescuing of a world gone wrong. And it's so important that we come to understand that rescuing a world that's gone wrong. That is critically important. N.T. Wright, the great theologian, said that if we want to work for the kingdom of God or if we want to fulfill the purpose of the church, it's going to take these things, justice. Justice is written in the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. That is God's intent. Second, beauty. We are created in the image of God and as co-creators with God, God expects us to create beauty in this world and hope and then evangelism. The good news is that the God who is the creator is now becoming king of this world and the Christ who died was resurrected and is the true Lord of this world. Let me simply say this. If we are going to be partners with God in the remaking of this creation, it's going to take courage. We're going to have to be courageous. Let me give an example. Eugene Carson Brake was the former president of the National Council of Churches. Dr. Blake and some people went to to the Olympics the last time it was held in London. He said it was in Wembley Stadium. 100,000 people were present. When these athletes came in, the people applauded. But then they not only applauded the athletes, the band started playing the different national anthems. God Save the King, and a group stood and, and applauded. The Star Spangled Banner, a group stood and applauded. The French National Anthem, a group stood and applauded. But then the orchestra and the chorus began to sing the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah. And Dr. Blake and a few people stood, as was their custom. But as soon as they stood, people in the back became agitated and said, Sit down, sit down. How do you expect us to see when you're standing like that? And they sang, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, where people were saying, Sit down, sit down, sit down. Let me tell you something. If you expect to be a partner with God in the world today, you better be prepared for criticism. Because if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to be costly costly in the world today. It's costly to stand for a standard in a world of cheap grace. It's costly to stand for justice in a world of extravagance. It's costly. It's costly to refocus on Jesus Christ when things are going awry. He said, be courageous. And then Paul said, be strong. We're talking about a man of great strength here, a man of courage and dynamism. As a matter of fact, few people could match Paul in his tenacity, in his backbone, let's say. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The late J. Wallace Hamilton said he was in this frame church in Richmond, Virginia. And he said it had the boxed-in pews. And he said he closed his eyes and he could hear Patrick Henry as he said, give me liberty or give me death. He said he was so appropriate that Patrick Henry said that in a church because liberty was born in a church, not on a battlefield or in a political rally. Liberty was born in the church. And he said he could sense him and hear him saying that. In other words, liberty was born out of a man's faith, a man's strength. And as Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Be strong. 
And then the last thing Paul says is, let all that you do be done in love. Now, I can hear a Roman patriot or a Roman philosopher advising these other things. Be alert, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong. But I can hardly imagine one of these people saying, let all that you do be done in love. You see, that's a distinctly Christian imperative. Why did Paul focus so much on love? Because he knew that if you boil the Christian faith down to one thing, one word, that word is going to be love. So we're told to love God with all our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. Thomas Carlyle was once heading out to make a speech to a large group of Christians. He passed his mother, and his mother said, where might she be going? He said, I'm going to tell these people about the trouble in the world. And she said, I, Thomas, but are you going to tell them what to do about it? In America's SOS today, America is crying out SOS. In America's SOS today, Paul gives the church a fateful word. What does he say? He says, be alert, watchful. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. How grateful we are for the Apostle Paul. Let us pray. Lord, we are indeed grateful for this day and this occasion. And we are thankful for the United States of America and for the marvelous opportunities afforded all of us because we live here and share in the privileges of being citizens. But Lord, we know that there's great need for the church's message of faithfulness to proclaim that message to America today. The same message Paul said, be alert, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Let us hear that message and may America prosper because we've heard it and live it out. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you very much for joining us on this occasion. I trust you'll continue to be with us. May God bless you. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me and oh how he loves us so oh how he loves us how he loves us so and oh how he loves us so oh how he loves us how he loves us so He loves us, oh, how He loves us, oh, how He loves us, oh, how He loves, yeah, He loves us, oh, how He loves us, oh, how 
how he loves us. Oh, how he loves. We are his portion and he is our prize drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes if grace is an ocean we're all singing so heaven eats earth like an unforeseen kiss and my heart turns violently inside of my chest and i don't have time to maintain these regrets when i think about the way that he loves us oh how he loves us oh how he loves us oh how he loves yeah he loves us oh how he loves us oh how he loves us Oh, how